Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. As we stand together, I want to invite you to repeat some things after me uh, so that we can together on this Pentecost pray a very dangerous prayer. And I want you to get a little physical today, get a little physical. I want you to put your hands out like this in an open posture of submission to the Lord. And I invite you, if you dare, to pray after me. Holy Spirit, Spirit, bring bring relief to my life where I need it most. So that I may become fully yours. Holy Spirit, bring distress to my life. Where I need it most. So that I may become fully yours. Amen. So it's Pentecost, the birthday of the church, that uh, Jewish festival day in which the Holy Spirit was poured out liberally upon thousands of people. And uh, the Spirit has always been understood to be a little unpredictable by human standards. That's why the icons of the Spirit from Celtic Christianity always depicted him as a wild goose, because you never knew what he was going to do. Jesus didn't use that illustration. He talked about the Spirit being like the wind, you know. It would go this way and that way, and you couldn't predict where the wind was going to go, just like you can't predict where the Spirit's going to go. But I think one thing that you can say about the Spirit, maybe two things you can say about the Spirit, is what the Spirit does. How do you know the Spirit's really active? And here are the two ways. I know these are two among many, but two really important ways. The Holy Spirit brings relief, and the Holy Spirit brings distress, both of them for our long-lasting well-being. We really need to be distressed by God, and we really need to be relieved by God. And these are the operations of God in action, the Holy Spirit toward your person and my person tonight. And you know what this is like, by the way, in life, of course. You need a little distress so that you grow as a human being. You don't grow without distress. We learn this in in various films and in literature. I remember seeing Annie for the first time, you know, the 19... Is it 70s version, right, with the, the beautiful curly-haired Annie who goes to visit um, what, Mr. Warbucks, who is this very bald, huh, that works for him, a bachelor, who is ridiculously wealthy, who gets to boss around the president and live in a palace of marble. But he has his life all figured out. I mean, and it's working very well uh, until he inherits this rather rambunctious orphan who comes into his, into his life and gives him a heart. And he completely grows as a person. The same thing could be said about uh, Mr. Bilbo Baggins, who was living a very peaceful life in the Shire and drinking tea and eating cheese. And all of a sudden had a knock at the door by uh, a man who was labeled the disturber of the peace, right? Gandalf the Grey, who invites him on an adventure that causes him to grow, as, a, as I was going to say, as a human being, <laughs> to grow as a hobbit, uh, <laughs> if that is possible, to grow as a hobbit and to have an expanded heart and an expanded experience. 
And you know what this is like, not only in novels and in, uh, in movies, but you know about your own experience, because if any of you have ever been in love, you know that's a, man, that messes you up. I mean, in every way, especially if you have plans. Like, you know how your life is supposed to turn out. You know where you want to live. You know what job you want to have. You know, uh, I, I talked to a 22-year-old the other day who told me where he was going to retire. I'm like, oh my gosh, wow, that's really special that you think that. Um, but what happens, right? You fall in love and then everything changes because it messes with you and it expands your humanity and you, you do things that you would never do before you fell in love. And that's what the Spirit does. That's the kind of distressing work the Spirit does. So I'm going to speak about John's Gospel tonight and the two actions of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit brings distress and the Holy Spirit brings relief in order for us to thrive as people of Christ, as people of God. But we have to start with relief because that's where the passage starts. And I'd like you to open up your bulletins, please, to John's Gospel and check out verse 16. And Jesus says this in verse 16, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. A little bit of context is really important. The disciples uh, are, are having a panic attack because Jesus just said to them, essentially, you know that dark event that I've been predicting with you for about a year and a half? Namely, that I'm going to be handed over to people that are going to annihilate me. That is going to happen very, very soon. Like, this is the end. This is the end. I'm giving you fair warning. They're distressed because he is going away. They somehow didn't understand what he was saying years prior about that event. Uh, They're afraid that they will be abandoned. And Jesus, in this Last Supper discourse, is assuring them that he is not some deadbeat dad who is going to leave his children, leave these people alone to their own devices. He would never do that to them. He will never do that to you. Uh, And so he says to them that he is going to give them a helper, a helper. In other words, he sends them more than a lecture, more than a sermon, more than a healing. He says, I'm going to send you someone, another helper. Well, just for what it's worth, the Greek word for helper is notoriously difficult to translate. It's paraclete in the Greek. That's why other versions use different words other than helper. Sometimes it's advocate. Sometimes it's comforter. But here's the reason why it's difficult to translate. Because it's really a combo of two Greek words. Uh, There's para, which means with, and kaleo, which means to call. Sometimes to call forth. And so uh, what that means is that you, Jesus is sending us someone who stands with us shoulder to shoulder, like right next to us. He's a companion, uh, somebody that has latched on to our life. And from that position of being next to us, starts to speak, starts to call forth, starts to uh, address. This is what one scholar uh, writes, summarizing what what I'm trying to say. He says this, Paraclete was a term used in a court of justice to describe a legal assistant or a counsel for the defense in court, an advocate, a legal hired advocate. Generally, it refers to one who pleads another's cause. 
And so this is what the Spirit is doing. As the Spirit aligns himself with us, he becomes our steadying advocate that always speaks on our behalf and works on our behalf. He works for us. Therefore, we are companioned in the, in the most personal, intimate way by somebody who is steadier than we are and cares more about us than we care for ourselves. That's who Jesus says that he's sending to us. And notice that's the opposite of the Satan in the Bible. What does the Satan in the Bible do? What is he known for? What's his reputation? What's on his CV? He's the prosecuting attorney. Uh, He prosecutes you, shows you your sin, accuses you of that sin in order to have you damned. But the Holy Spirit does the opposite. He becomes our advocate, the one who is sweet to us, good to us, steadying to us. And I was at a wedding yesterday. It was a beautiful wedding. And the best man gave a toast in which he broke down in tears three times because of how much he cared for the groom. It was a really lovely experience. But he said in the midst of those tears, uh, for some reason, Tyler, the groom, Tyler regards me more highly than he should. I thought that was lovely. He regards me more highly than he should. And he said that in front of 200 people. That's how good this person is. He's been my friend through thick and thin. He's never left me even when I've left him. And he he sees me with these justifying eyes. And that's not dissimilar to what the Holy Spirit does at the deepest possible level. Yeah. So he's our helper. He's our advocate. He's our comforter. He's our paraclete. He's the one who stands shoulder to shoulder and cries out on our behalf. But, but, There's a qualifier to it. Jesus says, I want to send you, or the Father will send you another helper, another. Now, to get very fancy in Greek with you again, this is a very special word in Greek. There are two different ways of saying another in Greek. One is allos and one is heteros. Allos means one of the same kind, and heteros means another, but of a different kind. Here he says, allos, one of the same kind. In other words, I'm going to send you someone who's going to remind you a lot of me. He's a lot like me. So we're, we're not losing our bond, me and you. Even if I leave you and you don't see my skin or my eye color anymore, I'm not walking out on you. I would never do that. Instead, I'm sending you someone who will be with you every step of the way forever And that person is just like me. There's continuity, in other words, between the historical Jesus and the spirit that he prays will be sent to us. Um, Now, I think that's really important to mention that Christ and the Holy Spirit are aligned. They're in alignment. In the book of Acts, whenever the Holy Spirit inspires the voices of apostles to preach, what do they preach about? Always. Jesus. They always preach about Jesus. When the spirit is active, you know the spirit is active. There's always a tell, and the tell is Christ. The spirit can't stop talking about Jesus because the two are in alignment because I'm going to send you another helper, another of the same kind. By the way, it's not surprising that 1 John uh, 1, verse 20, uh, in that epistle, John uses the word paraclete for Jesus. Actually, in that text, not for the Spirit. He says, if anyone sins, we have a paraclete with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is our advocate. The Spirit is our advocate. 
Here's the tell, by the way, if you know the Spirit is active in your life, and I pray He is. I pray He is in an increasing way, in a powerful way, in an emotive way, in a healing way. But here's the tell. I just indicated it. But anything that draws you to Christ, anything that causes you to repent toward Christ, anything that empowers your ministry to Christ, anything that you find that latches you to Christ or helps you to share Christ, that's all the Spirit. That's all the Holy Spirit. That's what the Spirit does. And so that's why he's saying to his disciples, look, our bond is not breaking. You're going to see some really decrepit things in the next few days. You're going to see things you never thought you would see. Oh, there's going to be a lot of blood and a lot of tears, but I need you to know I'm not leaving you behind. He's bringing them relief. He says, the spirit will be with you to bring my presence to you. Yeah. But then he keeps talking. Jesus later in the Last Supper talks about the Holy Spirit again, and this time it gets a little bit more cryptic. And I'd like to not deal with this, because if I stopped the sermon right now, it would be, this is so awesome, because it means, it's like theology is like oxycontin. It just takes the pain away, right? And I'm digging that, by the way. If that were, like, I'd love that, but it's not in the passage. So, um, so, but I mean, it is in the passage, but there's more, you know? So this is later, uh, three chapters later in verse 7. Please uh, look at it with me, if you would. Verse 7. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Here the Spirit is now becoming incredibly impolite. He's talking about things that we would wish to avoid. It's not polite to address those. And yet the Spirit is here addressing them. The Spirit here brings conviction. By the way, conviction in the Bible tends to have a double meaning. It means an inward sense of, uh, of, of, of sobriety, really seeing yourself for what you really are, like an awareness, like, oh my goodness, that, well, <laughs> that, that basement has a lot of stuff in it, um, right? There's a lot going on inside me. But it's also legal, like conviction, like to be convicted in a trial, guilty. And what, what does the Holy Spirit convict us of? Well, it says here several things. Um, sin, that is our fallen condition that produces vile actions. Righteousness, that is God's character and God's pathway for human flourishing. And judgment. Judgment is what happens when sin and righteousness meet together. Uh, that sin is exhumed and seen for what it is and dealt with squarely. And this is a distressing business. Anybody here who has ever been caught in the act in, in some sin that they had wished to hide knows what it's like to be convicted. But this is part of the labor of the Holy Spirit. I suppose there's an indication, by the way, in his very name, like the holy part. The holy part is somewhat distressing because it means the one who is imminent among us, the one who is shoulder to shoulder with us, is also the one who is holy, 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 that he is one who is totally set apart, totally other, completely unstained, and we are joined to him. And that can't always be comfortable, right? But nevertheless, this kind of distress where we are convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment, this distress from the Spirit is actually part of his helping mission. And here's what I have to say is the difference, one of the many differences, of course, between the aims of Satan and the aims of the Spirit. Satan does not convict you of sin. Satan accuses you of sin toward the end of, uh, to the end of damnation. 
The Spirit convicts you of sin that you might see it for what it is and be quickened to who you who you've become and then find God's mercy so that you can be not only forgiven but delivered. The end that the Spirit has in sight is very different than the end that the Satan has in sight. So conviction is very different than accusation. Yeah. And this distressing part of the Spirit's work is incredibly important. Now, this will at times feel deeply unpleasant. But here's a spiritual mistake that I've made in the past, and maybe you do too. When you're experiencing the pangs of the soul, what the Reformers called in German Anfechtung, the affliction within about who you are and like where you thought you would be by now and the, maybe the lack of development you've seen or maybe some, something you did to act out terribly, and you're seeing that, you might conclude because you feel so mixed up and badly about it that that's evidence of God's absence. I must have stepped out of the, outside the umbrella of blessing or something. You know, that isn't actually true, though, right? Because one of the ways the Spirit labors is to bring conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so if you're sensing conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment, you're actually experiencing the Spirit's ministry to you. It may not feel like ministry, but it is ministry, just like a surgeon is ministering to you when he removes a tumor, right? Um, Luther really understood this in his work on being a th- uh, on um, the theology of the cross. Uh, it was actually written in um, what's called the Heidelberg Disputation. I've recommended a book this summer called On Being a Theologian of the Cross by Gerhard Ferde, F-O-R-D-E. I cannot re- uh, recommend it highly enough. But in Luther's Theology of the Cross, he said um, people misunderstand the nature of, of uh, inner affliction and guilt. He said because they often assume God's absent when that's occurring, but He said, everybody, remember, look at the cross. The cross is the place where God looked like he was pulling away, where he was most absent, right? Death, sin, judgment, negation, abuse, all of it. And yet St. Paul looks back on that same event and, and says, what? That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. There was no place quite as filled with God that day as the cross as the place which ironically looked most forsaken was the place in which the Holy of Holies was present. Even And Luther would conclude, therefore, that when we have those experiences too, it is not evidence of absence, but evidence of presence. And this is evidence that the Spirit is working. Now, some people, by the way, want to get out of this sin, righteousness, and judgment bit because they say, look, in verse 8, it says, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Not us, but the people on the outside. Not the baptized people, but people who are not connected to Christ. Now, there is some interpretive truth to some of that, but um, the church isn't entirely off the hook because there's still like a little bit of worldliness clinging to us. That was sarcasm, like a lot of worldliness clinging to us, right? That's why as people who are simultaneously justified and sinful, we come back to this communion table week after week with repentance on our lips, with conviction on our lips. But we also believe that the spirit is involved in that kind of contrition because that's part of the spirit's labor. So I have a beautiful story of how this happened to a friend of mine. Uh, she actually became a friend because we shared the same building a long time ago. You all remember this, or many of you do, not all, many, because you all were there with me. Highland Presbyterian Church in Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania. Many good memories from that place. But uh, there was a woman there. I, I decided not to use her real name, though I don't think she would care at all. But her name was, uh, let's call her Christy. And Christy was part of their um, leadership team. 
and actually was the key leader on that leadership team. And I, I asked her at one point, being that she was a, a jovial, talkative type, have you always been involved in leadership at this church? And she said, absolutely not. I certainly wasn't fit for leadership for maybe 10 years in this church. And I'm like, huh, that sounds scandalosa. Like, I want to know more. I mean, I'm very interested. So I said, oh, please tell me more. And she did. Uh, she said, you know, uh, Ethan, uh, as soon as I arrived in this church, I started complaining about it. The first day I arrived, I complained about the pastor preaching too long. I complained about the music that I didn't like. I complained about how the funds were being spent. I complained about um, the fact that people didn't always plow the parking lot when it snowed the right way. I complained that the, the youth minister wasn't um, attentive enough to my kids. I complained that I didn't feel welcome because I wasn't as I, I didn't have as much money as other people, and so I was shunned because of these things. And I just complained constantly. And I said, "Well, what happened?" And she said, "Well, a friend from the church to whom I would often complain took me out to lunch." and was very direct with me and said, look, I don't know how to say this nicely to you, so I'm not going to say it nicely. The problem is not the church. The problem is you. <laughs> what? Um, and she said, whether you want to hear this or not, um, uh, you have a personality that brings negativity into every single situation. And really, everywhere you go, there's a dark cloud, and nobody can do right by you. Nobody's ever good enough. There's, no, uh, there's nobody who does enough for you. And so really, it has nothing to do with the church. Yes, the church is imperfect, but really, you're adding to that imperfection with this unrepentant heart. And uh, Christy uh, said, this is, these are her words. I wrote them down in a journal because they were so good. Christy said, that to me was the scream of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? The scream of the Holy Spirit. In other words, she was saying, that woke me up. That woke me up. Because I began to see myself not as a victim, but I began to see myself as a perpetrator. I began to see myself as somebody who was adding to the negative noise of the world. And, and you know what happened to her? She backed off. She became quieter. She became more reflective about her own soul. And, and she has been consistently one of the key leaders of that church and a, a, a veritable fountain of grace and goodness. Why? Because that was a Holy Spirit moment. That was a moment that God used to really shake somebody to their core and to, to bring distress, a sacred, holy distress, in order to bring that person into a wider place. By the way, I think this is a mark of the Holy Spirit um, and I'm just going to ask you this question and let it linger for a sec. Are you able to receive correction? Are you able to receive correction? Not are you anesthetized to it. It doesn't hurt. You know, I'm fine with it. But are you able to receive it without immediately defending yourself, without immediately marshalling, you know, friends who will back your cause instead of what the other, you know, none of that childish stuff. But that you're actually able to take it in and sit with it a while and say, is there any truth in this that I need to hear even though it hurts me? That's what maturity is in Christ. I'm going to conclude this sermon with a Pentecostal inquiry. Here's my Pentecostal inquiry for you. It is very simple, but quite direct. And actually, I find that the answer is often elusive and complicated. But here's the simple question. Do you want your life to get better than it is now? Really? Like, do you want your life to get better than it is right now? I don't think the answer is obvious. 
because we love dysfunction, because it gives us a sense of familiarity. There was a, a time when Jesus asked a bizarre question to a paralytic near a pool, almost a rude question in a way to a man who'd been laying there for you know, a generation. He asked him, do you want to be healed? He asked him because the answer didn't seem terribly obvious. I don't know if we do want to be healed sometimes, but if we do, if we feel like we're caught in a cul-de-sac of crazy, right? Where you just keep driving through the same patterns around and around and around, either just you as an individual or you with your family, same things, same snark, same uh, angry outbursts, same gossip, same mean-spirited spitefulness, same jealousy, uh, same, uh, you know, lust addiction, same pill popping, same start drinking at 10 a.m., you know, whatever it is, right? Whatever your poison is. If that's your cul-de-sac, is there freedom from it? It reminds me of one time when I was in a restaurant where somebody uh, hit the... This is back when CD players were playing the music in restaurants. It was in the log cabin inn. And somebody was praying uh, uh, Fraulein, uh, Fraulein uh, Celine Dion's hit... Uh, from Titanic, My Heart Will Go On. Have you ever had to listen and to endure that? Imagine enduring it 20 times in a row. It is the veritable definition of hell. Anyway, so uh, so is, if that's your life, so if you don't like the cul-de-sac, think of Fraulein uh, Dion. Um, it, it just keeps happening again and again. Let me say to you that you actually can be more than you are. Uh, and I don't say that based on uh, my own journey. I say that based upon the word of God. And the word of God does not say that you will forever be stuck. That is an accusation from the devil, actually. That, look, maybe you can, this is what Satan sounds like, because he always has to gussy it up a little bit. You know, maybe you can have heaven when you die, but life here is misery, you know. And so just, in, you know, you're just going to have to endure the misery. Everything is going to be increasingly miserable, but maybe, but you'll enter heaven someday, but probably not. Yeah, but that's the best you can hope for. That is not the word of the Lord. Uh, the word of the Lord says that you have one like Christ who is with you, who has joined himself to you. And in fact, if you want him to, the Holy Spirit can break this cul-de-sac. He can break the curse of the cul-de-sac. And he does this through things that are difficult and wondrous, through things that are distressing and relieving. So do we dare ask? Do we dare ask for healing? Do we dare ask for more of God? Do we dare ask for some way out of the cul-de-sac of our own experience, even if it scares the heck out of us? Do we ask? Do we dare? I think when we dare, life opens up in beautiful ways, and we become a new self. And it is uh, from glory to glory, really. I, uh, I don't know as a minister, you know, even though I know many of you very well, I don't really know the core need of your heart, but the Spirit does. So I have a little uh, prayer exercise we're going to do in which I'm just going to leave some silent time for God to square with us, and then we'll move to, to the creed. But um, I'm going to now invite you to stand. And in the silence, we're going to take time to be receptive uh, and listen for the Lord. And after uh, a, a few moments, I'm going to close us in a prayer. But let me start us now. Search us. Search us and know us, dear God. And please cause your Holy Spirit to help us to see what you would have us to see. And help us not to be blind to your purposes in this moment.
Almighty God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you that your Spirit brings us both distress and relief for our well-being and your glory. For those areas in our life that require distress, would you break the hard ground of our hearts so that new life can abundantly grow? And if we are not willing to let you do that, would you please, by your grace, lead us to willingness? And for those areas in our life that require relief, would you come with your nearness and liberally apply the gracious benefits of Christ, all of his pardon and favor and adoptive power, to the places where we need it the most or feel most unworthy of receiving anything good? Only you can do this work, and we plead that you would do it, even beginning right now. In Jesus' name, amen. They took your life. They could not take your